Broncos All-Decade Tackle Orlando Franklin. Two-time All-Pro linebacker Chad Brown. Former Broncos tight end and New York Times best-selling author Nate Jackson. 104.3 The Fan welcomes you into the Players Club. the Players Club, Dan Jacobs filling in for Nate Jackson. You know what? Not just Nate Jackson. You know what? I'm also going to fill in for Orlando Franklin. You know, and that's not good enough. I'm also going to fill in for Chad Brown. I'm filling in for the entire, the one, see, they needed somebody that was up to the task. See, they couldn't just, you know, call a normal fill-in host. They said, who is the only person on the planet that we could possibly call that is up to the task that could fill in for the entire players club? There is one man on earth that can do it. Get the bad phone out. Call Dan Jacobs. Call the judge, Dan Jacobs. So I am here, ready to rock and roll with you guys here on the Players Club. A Reaction Monday Broncos played Friday night in Arizona. We will talk about that. Plenty of things to talk about on that. We will do that throughout the show. We'll have a cast of fan personalities to help us do that. Come up in about 30 minutes. We'll check in with our fan Broncos insider, Troy Rank, presented by Rocks, R-O-X, Rocks Heating and Air. And then... Now, if you listen to the Dan Jacobs show on the weekends, probably the highlight of your weekend may very well be when I get to put on the gloves and I get to spar with James Merlat. So we're going to do that in hour number two. We'll do that for almost the entire hour because uh, that's going to be, you know, can't miss entertainment. And then in the final hour of the show, probably check in with Cecil Lammy because he'll be our man on the scene at practice as today is a non-fan event, non-fan affair, so to speak as the Broncos are practicing sans fans on the berm, on the hill. hill. So uh, he'll be our eyes and ears for us out there as the uh, Broncos get back in action after uh, playing on Friday night. So speaking of the fans, so here I am. I'm driving into the show. Now, of course, I'm listening to the morning show, as we do every morning. Fine entertainment. And I want to see what they're talking about. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is it a, this just me Monday? I didn't know that was a thing. That's not a thing, is it, John Simmer? Usually on Fridays. It's usually on Fridays, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's a fairly consistent thing for the last, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. It says, is it just me Friday? But what they are talking about has me going is it just me, or are they out of their stinking minds? That's how dramatic my reaction was to what they were talking about at about, oh, 8.03 a.m. Now, the first thing that has me saying, is it just me, was Mark Schlereth is spouting off about Bronco fan and about how Bronco fan, he's calling you, our passionate, loyal Bronco fan base, Chicken Little. Now, are we going to let him get away with you, Mark Schleyer calling you Chicken Little, when I don't know that there's a more 
passionate fan base in all the sports. And by the way, isn't it? Aren't the Broncos mired in either the most or second most, maybe the second most longest futility bout in the NFL right now? Isn't it like the Broncos and the Jets? Longest playoff bouts right now. And by the way, the longest stretch of futility in the history of the franchise. Like there have been some record lowlights in the stretch they're in. Thankfully, they started it with a Super Bowl championship. So it's it's not as painful, I suppose. But good grief. I mean, there's the... Remember when Patrick Mahomes goes out and, and we're like, all right, got a shot here. Matt Moore didn't even know he's in the league. And he comes and just like blows you know, blows us out and you know people are leaving leaving the stands at home because it's a blowout against Matt Moore and the Chiefs there was the I remember I was I was in Hawaii and I'm like oh this is nice I'm gonna get watch the game it's a national TV game Broncos are taking on the Browns B team because the Browns starters were they were just they had massive injuries Case Keenum as a backup was in, it was on national TV, and it was a butt whooping. Like there was, a, it's just been a series of lowlights for Broncos fans over the last seven years, seven eight years, whatever it's been. And to hear Mark Schlereth tell it, it's like, oh, they're just these chicken littles. The sky's falling. It's a they show up time and time again. The Broncos fans have remained true to the organization. By the way, you know, I've talked about this. You know, we did a poll here at the station one time, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. The Nuggets, who now that they're winning actually have fans, the Nuggets actually rated below the Rapids in this poll, in this survey, so to speak. Like we were testing, you know, what should we be talking about, this, that, and the other. It was, a, you know, a, what was it, a survey, a, a public interest poll survey. The Nuggets at one point, which, by the way, just before this run, I believe were last in the league in attendance. For three straight years. So the Nuggets don't enjoy the support when they're bad that the Broncos get. So Mark, teeing off on you Broncos fans. Call you Chicken Little, which, I, you know, I, are you guys going to take that? Are you going to accept that from your three-time Super Bowl champion morning show host? I don't think you should. I think you should stand up to the guy. Don't let him bully you around. Don't let him ragdoll you like he used to, he used to do to defensive linemen. I think you need to stand up. I'm standing up for you. Mark Schlereth, you don't talk to Bronco fan like that. Now, you notice I waited for him to leave the room before I started, you know, bowing up. Because they were like, hey, Dan, what uh, what do you got coming up at 9? I'm like, oh, it's going to be great. They're like, well, what is it? I'm like, oh, you have to wait and listen. It's going to be great, though. I didn't, say, I, didn't, I didn't say a peep until they left the room. Now, the other thing, though, is when I tuned in at 8.03... And I thought this was particularly rich. They're talking about how tough the Broncos media is and how, you know, Pollyannish the Avs media media is and the Nuggets media is. And they used, for example, the Val Nashushkin situation to illustrate just how soft the Avalanche media is and how the Broncos media but never, ever let something like that fly. I'm like, are you, 
Are you kidding me? First off, I don't think it's a fair comparison because, I mean, it's what was that uh, term they used to use? What do they call it? You know, it's like military intelligence. What do you call it? A contradiction in terms? Like, there really is very little avalanche media, right? Like, what was there Mike Chambers hanging on over at the Denver Post? Like, team broadcasters don't count. They're employees of the team. We like them. They're entertaining. They don't count, right? They're not going to be expected to be hard-hitting journalists because, you know, it's a conflict of interest. They're getting paid by the team. And the team's not going to blow open a story about one of their star players having a personal situation. In fact, they can't. It would be a HIPAA violation. Now, in theory, yeah, could they could they leak violation about, you know, one of their own star players? I guess they could and face a lawsuit and all that stuff, but it's not likely to happen. Wouldn't be smart for the team to do that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we got Adrian Dater who runs his own website, does a pretty nice job. Um, you know, it, it's just there's not a lot of Avs media left. You know, we we write about it on the website, but we're largely an opinion-driven website. And, we, you know, our guys at DenverSports.com do a fa- fantastic job, but we're not beat writers for the teams. That's just not what we do. So, but at least with the Valnichuskin situation, we did see later the 911 tapes, at least partially redacted, but released. You know, they did cover it a little bit. Like, at least we were have a somewhat idea of what happened. I mean, I could tell you what happened, right? You have to fill in the pieces a little bit, but we can tell you what happened. But here we are, and Mike Evans and Mark Schlereth, like, something like that. That would never fly. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? We actually had a situation, I say, and I could probably come up with a bunch of these situations. But, like, right away, I'm like, okay, here's a couple. We have the Broncos head coach. Right? I'm not going to make this personal. But the Broncos head coach. The Broncos completely whiffed on this. They didn't do their due diligence. They hire a head coach in Vance Joseph who had to leave a job coaching the secondary at his alma mater, CU, and had to leave and take a lateral position in lieu of being fired, allegedly, at Bowling Green, which is not a lateral position, because of alleged improprieties with co-eds and some pretty nasty allegations. Okay, and Broncos Media, Paul Klee brought it up, and there was basically... A couple of questions, and the Broncos squashed it. Killed. So, there. There's your example. And then, I don't know, how about the Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson situation? I don't remember any questions from the media other than he gave a little uh, you know, pre-planned speech in the offseason at some camp in a parking lot. I don't know. This whole charity situation, great story by the USA Today. Did I miss it? Has he gotten one question at camp about some accountability for that situation? Uh, I'm still waiting on it. And I don't blame the Broncos media because we know now the Broncos have, have, have made it very clear, you know, that, hey, you know, if you fall out of line with our policies, uh, you know, you won't be here. But come on, Mike. Mike and Mark, what are you talking about? Broncos media are tough, hard-hitting, and they have some nuggets media. Our uh, babes in the woods, Pollyannish. Are you? Are you kidding me? I, I mean, for years, 
I've talked about it on the Dan Jacobs show about this very topic. We've had nicknames for it that I've retired because it's just, it's silly. Now, the Broncos media have gotten a little hard-edged recently just because it's been so bad for so long. Just like Bronco fans said, how much, how much is, you know, when is enough enough? Fool me once. Shame on me. Fool me twice. You can't fool a fool, you know. But come on. Come on, Mike Evans. You've been here for 25 years. You know, Mike just had a big celebration at a company meeting for being here for a quarter century. You know better, Mike Evans. Come on now. I considered you one of us, not one of them. What are you doing? All right, coming up next, DMAC finds one of the weirdest ways possible to defend Russell Wilson. You're not going to believe this. We'll get into it coming up next. You've been admitted VIP entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. All right. I got time here. I almost went over a little bit too much, but I do have time to get to this because I thought this was... This is pretty funny. Now, I have, uh, for those of you who don't know, I host the uh, wildly entertaining and popular, fastest rising talk show on the station, The Dan Jacobs Show. Saturdays, 11 to 2, Sundays, 10 to 1. You can find it on DenverSports.com on the weekend's podcast. Subscribe. Tell all your friends and family to subscribe. But one of the great things I have is I have James Merrillat on, on every Sun, Saturday at about uh, 10, 20, uh, 11.20. And not every weekend, but quite often, Darren D. Mac McKee graces us with his presence. And I go spar with him quite a bit as well. And it's all in good fun. And we argue like family, and it's a good time. Now, I hosted the fan football postgame show on Friday night. Now, remarkably, most people were more fired up over the kicking situation. And if you guys want to react to that, you absolutely can. We'll get to your texts and reactions throughout the show today, right? Because I'm the I'm the guy on the station that likes to hear from the people. I'm a man of the people, for the people, with the people. So you'll have your opportunity to do that on the RamosLaw.com text line, 303-713-1043. But I had DMAC on the show yesterday. And just to be fair... I am not panicking over what we saw out of the offense. I am concerned about the offensive line and how that will affect Russell Wilson. But I'll tell you later in the show how Sean Payton's training camp is pretty much every bit as soft as Coach Hackett's. And because of that, though, there's really no no reason to panic right now. So let's just give them a little bit of time and let's be fair. Okay, and I'll explain that that may seem counterintuitive to you. So I will explain that coming up a little bit later in the program. So I'm not pushing the panic button on the team right now. I want to give them some time to work through everything. And I have some confidence in Sean Payton and that he'll eventually get the job done. Okay, so I'm not coming in here to hate on Russ today. I'm not here to do that. Was I concerned about some things? Yeah, I'm concerned. But I was also a little bit encouraged. Now, having said that. I I had to step back with a little awe and wonder in my eye when DMAC came up with an absolutely, and I say this respectfully, puzzling way 
of driving James Merrillat's Russell Wilson bandwagon. Here it is. Well, I went back and actually watched Russ. It's funny you bring that up. I watched that again this morning, like just his throws. So he had 13 throws. And uh, I think he had seven completions and one significant drop, which was Judy's. I, I thought it was two drops, but I went back and looked at the first pass of Troutman. And it was a bad pass. It was the very first play of the game. It was behind him. <clears throat> it was behind Troutman. It could have been caught, but it wasn't a good pass. So of his 13 passes, Dan, when I just looked at him, five were solid plays. And then two were just like, you know, like nothing. They were just little dinks. You know, there's nothing to it. But five out of the 13 passes were like good, like solid, like, hey, that's a really high-quality play. And I included the drop because, you know, that was still a quality pass. So whether Judy catches it or not, you know, that, that he should have. So I saw five out of 13 passes from Russell Wilson that were, like, really good. And then there were a couple of, like, miss. And then there were, you know, like, five that weren't so good. So you tell me, Dan, if that's the metrics that we're using. I would say that's a solid, not spectacular night, but solid. 55% completion percentage is never going to be good enough. No, 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 no. It wasn't completion percentage. Again, I want to be clear. It wasn't completion percentage. It was like a quality pass. Like, I, I give him credit for the drop that Judy had as a quality pass. He had to move around. He had to get free. He lost it to Judy. Like, that's a quality pass. I'm looking at it from a different, from my DMAC metric, not, not from, like, the standard completion percentage. So if I, if I told you five out of, he had five quality passes out of 13, I know that sounds like completion percentage, but I think five quality uh, passes out of 13, and I should take out the ones that are completions. So let me take those out. So let me take out two that are, were completions and just take it out. So it's five quality passes and 11 attempts. I think that's all right. I think five? that's actually okay. I think five, that's out of, five quality passes out of 11 attempts is good enough? I think it's solid. That's I don't think solid? it's great, but I think it's solid. Oh, that's nuts. That's nuts. Are you, are you listening to what you're saying? Uh, yeah, I'm listening to what I'm saying. I mean, I thought it was well. Listen, are we are we quibbling over the word solid? Yes. Would you like to give it another word? What would you like to call it? Bad, not uh, insufficient. I definitely would. I definitely wouldn't call it bad. I mean, it, it definitely moved moved the ball. It produced a touchdown. Um, you know, the, the the play to Judy was uh, showing mobility and athleticism and nice touch. No, I definitely wouldn't call it bad. He had Judy across the middle for another really cool throw. He had Cortland Sutton for like 13 yards at one point. I'm taking away the two easy throws. Like, just don't even worry about them. Like, that's something anybody could do. I think five out of 11 quality passes is all right. Wow. Now, that is something. So, DMAC in an attempt, and DMAC, by the way, he does this all the time. He comes up with this silly little way to look at something that only fits his narrative. So, for example, on the kickers, because he really likes Brandon McManus, so he says, well, the only really stat for kickers that matters is 40 to 49 yards. Now, why does he say that? Well, because Brandon McManus was perfect from that range. Well, why does it not matter if they don't hit from long range or short range? It only matters if they hit from mid range. I don't know. In DMAC's mind, that's all that matters. But even in this conversation, saying... 
that being less than 50% on your throws, having quality, your, your, your throws being quality less than half the time, man, that left me scratching my head. I just, I was befuddled. I'm like, okay, you're throwing completion percentage out the window in lieu of something you just made up. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of entertain the conversation, but the, even then you're saying half your throws being quality throws less than half, less than 50% is good or solid and that's okay. You're going to lose. You're going to lose football games that way. It was interesting. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, let me know what you think. 303-713-1043. Coming up next, we'll check in with Troy Rank. All right, he was one of our men on the uh, scene there in Arizona. We'll see what his thoughts were coming up next here on the Players Club. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. All right. Troy Rank from Denver 7 joins us, presented by Rocks. R-O-X, Rocks, Heating and Air. Mr. Rank, how are you, sir? It's Dan Jacobs on the Players Club. Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Yes. I actually want you to react to this, because I, I, I think it poses an interesting question. Fred in Jacksonville writes in, Drew Locke called. He wants this bar that Russell Wilson is being held to back. Hosts never been over backwards besides Merlat to support Locke like this. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Like now all of a sudden Russell Wilson may be getting a different bar, um, considering, you know, the expectations Russell had a year ago. What do you think about that? Well, the difference is Drew Locke's done nothing in the NFL ever, as in ever, ever. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's true. Russell Wilson arrived with nine pro bowls and a super bowl and had been to two. And he's got a real chance to make the hall of fame. So if you're comparing him to Drew Locke, I'm sorry. Now the different. The difference this camp is that the scrutiny is on Wilson. I don't know who's giving him the benefit of the doubt. He finished strong against Arizona. He's making progress. He had five consecutive strong days in practice, but the first seven were clunky, at times terrible. I don't know that he's been given a free pass. I mean, this is an audition year for Russell Wilson that he's got to show he can make it work with Sean Payton. Payton didn't arrive here with Russell Wilson, so if Russell can't figure it out, there's a chance they'll move on from him after this year and just take the poison pill on the contract over two years. It'd be like $41 million a year for two years for him not to play for you. But Russell's not getting a free pass. No quarterback in recent memory got criticized more than Russell Wilson last year, both on and for what he did off the field. No one's going to give him a free pass in Broncos country. They're expecting him to be good. They need him to be a top 15 quarterback. The Drew Locke thing, Drew's a nice guy. I root for him. He couldn't beat out Geno Smith. He couldn't win the job here consistently. I mean, that is so far in the past. I don't, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to even entertain it. If Drew was everything that people thought he was, he would be a starting quarterback in the NFL. He is not. Okay. Interesting. Um, I, I can't say I disagree with you. I think, you know, the only thing is this text was saying as well, you know, if he gets, you know, if he were to be that terrible and just, you know, get a blanket, you know, free year the next year, you know, maybe be good by now. I, I personally believe Troy, and maybe you believe this, maybe you don't. Um, he's just not good enough. Drew Locke is just not. He's intriguing. We get excited about his talent, but he's just not an NFL quarterback. That's just, you know, that's just a fact. Yeah, he's really, he's talented. He's just inconsistent. He had a problem with turnovers. That was his issue. And Brock Osweiler told me years ago, <laughs> ball security is job security. And if you can't take care of the ball in the NFL, coaches don't trust you. And when they don't trust you, 
the leash is really short, no matter how great of an athlete you are. Look at Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, to me, is Drew Locke, except he was taken with a second overall pick. And they moved on from him because he couldn't take care of the football. I mean, that's what the NFL is. Now, if Russell plays poorly this year, it's very likely they could move on from him. I mean, they can't have him throw 16 touchdowns with 11 picks and get back to the playoffs. He's got to be more like 25 and 10 if they're going to reach their goals. So I hope it works out for Drew. It's great that he's still, you know, in the league in a stable situation in Seattle, but comparing Drew Locke's resume to Russell Wilson's resume, it's just not the same. It's apples to oranges. Tell me what you felt about Friday night. Again, their offense, when they went out there and had a three and out to start, I mean, I turned to some of the press box and said, okay, so they're going to get five, six series now apparently to reach their play count. You know, I kid because I care. We've seen that. And and the finish was great, and I love the fact Sean Payton was bold and said, hey, we're going for it on fourth and five, and we're going back to Judy. I loved all of that. The issue that concerned me was Russell made a couple of bad throws, but more than that, their offensive line was just brutal until that last series. Russell Wilson, in this preseason, he got 64% pressure on his passing attempts. That was the most of any quarterback in the preseason week one, because if we don't count the Hall of Fame game. It just He took five hits. That's insane for a preseason game for your starting quarterback. So that was a concern, and it's been a concern in camp, Dan, if we're being honest. The pass pro has not looked good. And then you can't say it's just because McGlinchey wasn't out there. It didn't look good. So this is a big week for them to kind of start making improvement in that regard. But you saw when they ran the football with that last drive, P. Ryan was running well. Then you can allow Russell to do deeper drops so he can see better, do bootleg, do play action. It provided a snippet of what this offense can look like. But the concerns when I walked away were, you know, man, the offensive line's got a lot of work to do, and special teams were a mess, especially in the kicking game, and Riley Dixon uncorking a 32-yard punt as his first punt. That's got to get better. I suspect it will. I expect some people got lit up <laughs> this week, and they will get lit up this week because that's not the standard on special teams. The Jerry Judy thing is interesting to me because, you know, he had – the big time problems with drops before, then it really wasn't an issue the last couple seasons. But what we're hearing is, and, and you can wait, you know, obviously I want you to weigh in on this. It has been a problem in camp. Now you said this and everybody's saying this, right? Like they, they say they like that. They went right back to him. And what I've heard is in camp, they're doing the same thing and they're going right back to him. So he's had quite a few drops in camp and then he comes right back. Now, that raises the issue, though, that we were kind of just talking about with, you know, Russell Wilson, right? Like, okay, we're going right back to him. He's getting extra opportunities, this, that, and the other. Is it a coddling? Um, Does Jerry Judy continue to get extra targets, extra opportunities that go right back to him where, you know, the fifth wide receiver, if he has a drop, he's either getting cut, bumped down the depth, uh, depth chart, or his reps are going way down. Whereas with Jerry Judy, when he can makes mistakes, he continually gets more opportunities. Is that fair or, Hey man, it's Jerry Judy. He's got you know, tremendous talent and he's, he's, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, you just described it. The reason he gets more opportunities is because he's open more. He's their best receiver. He's their most talented receiver. He needs to clean it up. I mean, he's had drops in camp this year more than he did a year ago. The drop on Friday night, he will tell you, is inexcusable. He's literally turning to run and just not securing the ball. And he's got to get better at it. There's no way around it. But why do they go back to him? Because he's open and he's their most talented receiver. 
that said, Cortland Sutton's had a terrific camp. He's leaned out some. He's stronger in his upper body. He looks much closer to the 2019 version than the guy we've seen the last couple of years. But they go back to Judy because he's what's going to make the offense work. He's the one real true deep threat. Sutton's not the deep threat. He's more of a possession-type receiver. So they're going to keep going back to him, and they're basically trying to iron it out like a hitter. You get in a slump like, okay, eventually you're going to have that team, and then you move forward. And you try. You got to get him out now because – that drop against the Cardinals against a good team could cost you the game. I mean, if we're, if we're going to be honest about it because there's no guarantee you're going to be open against a good defense on fourth and five. That's a really difficult conversion. But they're going back to him because they want to show trust in him, number one. They want to show confidence in him. And it's one of those, we believe in you, so now believe in your, you know, you've got to believe in yourself because we believe in you. But ultimately, it is a production-based business. It's not a try-hard league. It's a do-good league. So if he were to have drops during the season, eventually you would see his uh, productivity go down and his targets go down. But right now they cannot afford that. He's too good to go away from. They're just trying to get through it in camp. And by the time you get to September 10th, you hope you look back and say, see, it was a couple of clunky, uneven weeks, but we got through it. He's in a better spot. You brought up Corlin Sutton. I have been very pleasantly surprised uh, with his resurgence so to speak he's looked great he's looked fantastic in the practices that i've watched russ seems to be much more comfortable with him on a more consistent basis um who do you think statistically will have a better season Cortland or jerry judy i think judy will because he's just their plays are going to be bigger plays they're going to be splash plays i mean so judy's can judy can end up being a guy that can get four catches for 85 yards and a touchdown where sutton would need volume to get to that and those two have never played well together in their career. It's the weirdest thing. Anytime Judy's played, Sutton's production has gone way down. Now, Tim Patrick was there at some of that. So with Tim Patrick gone, they need Sutton to be a 1,000-yard receiver, five or six touchdowns. I mean, the problem with Cortland is he just stopped getting in the end zone. He has two touchdowns in his last 26 games. He looks different than that player that I'm describing statistically. But I still think Judy's capable of 1,200 yards, eight touchdowns, and Sutton should be right around 1,000 and five or six touchdowns. Maybe it's more, I hope. I just They haven't had a Broncos quarterback with 20 touchdowns since Peyton Manning in a single season, so I'm not going to sit here and say it's going to be some big number. But Sutton does look better. I just think at the end of the year, Judy's numbers will be better, even if he has fewer catches because he's going to have more splash plays. All right, Troy, we appreciate you. Thanks for joining us. All right, that's Troy Rank from Denver 7, presented by Rocks, R-O-X, Heating and Air. And we didn't actually get to ask him about the Rock. He's got a fairly tough weekend. Um, unfortunately, we just didn't have enough time. All right, your chance to react to Troy Rank. Coming up next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Band presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. There was a preacher's son, and when his daddy would visit, he'd come along. When they gathered around and started talking, that's when Billy would take me walking. Out through the backyard, we go walking, then he look into my eyes. Lord, Dan Jacobs filling in on The Players Club. Broncos reaction Monday. Our man behind the glass, John Simmer, just handed this to me. It says Peyton Manning. This is from the University of Texas College of Communication and Information. 
Peyton Manning, class of 97, joins the College of Communication and Information as a professor of practice this fall. Now, I don't even know what that means. Never heard of that term before. He's just a professor, but a professor of practice. A national, they have to, they have to explain who, who, um, Peyton Manning is. And I, they, by the way, they, they kind of leave out one key part of his bio. It says a nationally recognized media personality, check, entrepreneur, check, and sports commentator, check. Manning will provide transformational learning opportunities. Hmm. Yeah, those are all things that Peyton Manning's done. I wonder. I wonder if he's ever done anything else. Oh, I don't know. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame for something. What was it? I don't remember. Oh, also the College Football Hall of Fame for playing at the University of uh, Tennessee. Oh, by the way, it's Tennessee, not Texas. Sorry. Did I say Texas? University of Tennessee. Brain fart. Uh, University of Tennessee. God, that what a what a faux pas that was. <laughs> University of Tennessee fans are going to have my head. Somewhere Todd Helton's listening. Dang that Dan Jacobs. The University of Tennessee, Knoxville College of Communication Information has appointed. Oh, they've appointed him as if he had no choice or something. As a professor of practice starting in the fall 2023 term. Now, here's the deal. Um... Initially, you'd think, okay, that's going to be the hottest course on campus, which I agree it will be, right? Like everybody, there's going to have to be a lottery system or something like that because everybody is going to want to take that class, as they should. It would be awesome to have Peyton Manning as your professor. John, do you agree? Yes and no. Right. That's the second part, right? Everything we know about Peyton Manning is, now I understand he's not going to be grading papers, right? We know that's not going to happen. But he's going to be a tough SOB when it comes to being your teacher. Like, everything we've ever heard about Peyton Manning is he is the ultimate perfectionist and he demands the maximum out of everybody. Like, he will not accept you. Like, come on, man. You know how college was, right? At least, at least undergrad. Undergrad is, you just, if, if, by the way, if you show up at all, right? Because here's how it was. Now, I was actually a, at least up until, you know, the, you know, final, final few classes of my senior year when I had five jobs and I was a little bit burnt out, but I was in large part, a show up to every single class guy because that's how I learned. Like I actually did, you know, want to learn and, and take and receive, what do they call it? Auditory, auditory learner. I was actually like a mix of all the learning styles, but I had to be in class. And generally, if I heard the information and took notes and then went over everything, I would do okay in the class. I was not a straight A student, but, you know, I could pass the final. And, you know, write the papers and stuff like that. But a lot of students in undergrad would learn, all right, hey, man, we can get the notes, we can get the outlines, we can figure out a way by hook or by crook to pass these classes without even being there most of the time, depending on the attendance policies for each professor. You ain't get away with that with Peyton Manning. 
I would think. I would think Peyton Manning is going to be very strict. He's going to expect strict attendance. And I can, you know, I would imagine, depending on what level of student you are, you're go- it's going to be must-see TV anyway, right? Like, you're going to want to be in class, but not all students. I Man, I remember a lot of cats, didn't matter who the teacher was, you know, that it'd be like, ah, oh, Peyton Manning. And they'd be there for the first couple of weeks, and then they might check out. And I don't think Peyton Manning would be cool with that. And then you'd have to be on your P's and Q's because we've heard Orlando Franklin talk about this. Orlando said on many occasions, scared to death being a teammate of Peyton Manning's because it's bad enough just being a normal player in the NFL, feeling like you have to know the playbook, but it was like to the thousandth degree with Peyton Manning because you're scared to death of what Peyton Manning may do to you if you didn't know the minute detail of every single play, of every single thing that could unfold on the football field with Peyton Manning. Now, imagine that with, you know, whatever topic is in this class that he comes up with. Remember, there's a story of, I think it was at the University of Tennessee, and I think it was just coaches, maybe. Um, it was a Cutcliffe, or maybe it was a Duke. Cutcliffe had him in somewhere. I think it was Cutcliffe had him in, but whatever. Manning's supposed to come in, talk for 30, 45 minutes, and they're at hours later, and he came in, he actually had a presentation, this, that, and they're going in so deep, and, and it's like, wow. And now imagine him, you know, doing this with kids. Like, I don't know that he'll be able to stick to the game plan as far as the class. Because, you know, what is it with, with, with teaching periods? Like, is it... If you go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, is it like 50 minutes? And if you go Tuesday, Thursday, is it an hour and 15 minutes? Is it something like that? Like you think, I don't know if he'll be able to contain himself to a strict schedule like that. I just don't know if it's possible. And, you know, I I bet you he'll do something like, hey, anybody that needs to see me after class, I'll, I'll go over stuff. Could be daunting. And by the way, it's weird, man. Like, it's just weird that he'll, you know, I don't know. I'll have to read the, you know, the, the full story. Because, you know, I'm sure he's got to be limited. Like, how does he have time for this? Mark Schlereth was talking about he's coaching his son. He's the coach of his son's peewee whatever level football team. And he's got like Terrell Davis and Mark Schlereth and all these big time former players coaching the football, the 12-year-old football team. Like, man, this guy's stretched. I don't want to say stretch thin because I'm sure he's managing his schedule, but you know, he's got Omaha productions, which he is, you know, I assumed Omaha productions was just like a little thing. No, from everything that Andrew Mason has said to me is no, he is actually looking at that. And I think this is really a reason that he hasn't gone in to be a GM or a coach somewhere is, and I, you know, cause Andrew Mason has said this and I believe him is that no, he views his path if he's not going to actually become the league commissioner, which I think is a realistic possibility for Peyton Manning. But if he's going to become an owner, he wants to be the owner of the team. And I think he believes his path to becoming a billionaire is not doing endorsements for Papa John's, you know, or getting stocked in some company as an endorser. Like, I think that's how Tom Brady was thinking of doing it. He was, you know, endorsing cryptocurrency or whatever. And I, th- I think he thought if he can get, become a part of something that blows up, then he's a billionaire. I think 
what Peyton Manning believes his most sure path into becoming a billionaire. And by the way, you know, you're not, you're not going to own a team with two billion. There's regulations as to if you're going to be the, uh, you know, biggest part of the ownership group, you got to have X percentage of the money yourself. So you probably got to have four or five, six, ten billion to, to get by. Because it wasn't that an issue with Josh Harris, the guy that just bought the Commanders. Like he he barely was able to squeak by and buy that team because he just didn't have enough money. So Peyton's got to have, I'm sure, at least five, maybe eight to ten billion. And I think he believes Omaha Productions is his way to become a billionaire with a B. So man. He's going to be coaching the football team, his son's 12-year-old football team, teaching. You know, I'm sure he just flies in, does his deal, flies out. But, man, like, I don't think he does anything halfway. So there you go. Uh, that would be fun. So, John, what, what's your final stance on it? Would you like to take the, the Peyton Manning course, or would you be like, nah, it's a little too much for me? I think given the what he's teaching, it'd be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You can't say no if you... We're able to do that, and you're serious about, you know, trying to go down that line of work. Um, yeah, I would do it in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Okay. And I would hope I have no other obligations or classes other than that because, like you said, the uh, the attention to detail and the amount of time and effort it's probably going to take to get the best out of that is going to be a lot for yeah. sure. All right. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if James Maryland would get in the same trouble. See, I got, believe it or not, I got into a little trouble. In law, I actually got a professor fired um, in law school because, uh, you know, I, you know, I've told the story before, but, uh, you know, I got uh, engaging him a little too much. I got him um, got him off his game, so to speak. Uh, so I eventually got him. You know, he got fired because of it. Uh, so, you know, maybe I would get Peyton or myself in trouble. But, you know, you know, who would be good to talk to about this. You know, this because, you know, James would have maybe an issue with this as well. Um. James Merrillat, and he's going to join us for a few segments coming up next.